Welcome to the 6am Run Podcast. My name is Mark Paisant. I'm an avid runner, a certified personal trainer, a 6am Run ambassador, and host of the show. Be sure to head over to the website, 6amrun.com, to sign up today to get 20% off of your first order. Now, let's start the show. Hello, and welcome back to the 6AM Run Podcast. I am your host, Mark Paisant. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. And like I mentioned, probably a couple times a month, just because the show has run in the name, doesn't mean that's all we talk about. Sometimes we don't even talk about fitness. Sometimes we don't even talk about anything early. We just want to give you an engaging show if you're on a run, if you're at the gym and you just want to learn something, you just want to get something out of your day, we appreciate you tuning in to the show. As always, this show is brought to you by 6AM Run and 6AMRun.com. Head over to that website to get 20% off of your first order. A lot of new stuff dropping and I think you will like it. So today... And let me go ahead and say it because I've said it so many shows. I love talking to authors. I love, love, love talking to authors. But we have Susie Lee, and she studied psychology and theology, which we're going to talk about that a little bit and has a master's degree in peace and conflict studies. I hope she shows up to my house when my daughters are having tantrums so we can work on that. But... Susie, before we talk about a book, go ahead and introduce yourself for our audience. Well, hello, everybody from sunny Sydney, Australia. Actually, it's not sunny. It's usually sunny. It's raining. Um, I moved here many years ago when my dad came to build the Sydney Opera House, that iconic, beautiful sailing monument. Um, I love it here. I've traveled around the world, come back to the northern beaches of Sydney because it's pretty fantastic. Um, I am married, I have two grown sons um, and loads of nephews and finally one son and my daughter-in-law produced me a little baby granddaughter. She's less than six months old, so that's my excitement at the moment. Oh my goodness, congratulations. I, I feel great for you. That's such a, a good moment for um, a person to become a grandmother. So awesome. I'm, I'm so happy for you. So and before we get started, is it true about like the, the heat in Sydney during the summer? Does it get pretty hot over there? Well, no. Um, we never have more than a few days um, spread out that are really too hot. And the last few years, it's been La Nina, so it's actually been a bit cooler and gloomier than usual. But then a few years ago, we had terrible fires. So, you know, the climate is a little bit random. It's all over the place. Well, we hope you get great weather out there. So to begin, let's, you know, a lot of the work you do is, of course, with families, specifically with children and 
kind of helping others understand. I don't know if understand children is the, is the right word, but, but we'll go with it for right now. So, but before I, I ask you about that, what, you know, what kind of child were you when, when you were, were growing up? Were you rambunctious? Were you a, a good listener? But what kind, of, what kind of child were you? I remember at eight years old writing my first novel <laughs> and it was a total ripoff of some movie that I'd just seen but I can still close my eyes and picture the yellow paper and the great big handwriting um, and I've always loved books but I never thought I would actually pull it off and write a book. Um, my parents were divorced when I was eight and it was a long time ago when that that was still fairly unusual and it was really hard and I think that was formative for me. Um, I think when I had kids it, it, it took me back to thinking not just oh I'll just do whatever my parents did but oh okay I better be a little bit more intentional about this because I'm not just going to do what my parents did. Um, but I think I think as a child I had a, a pretty good time. Um, I had a sister who we were very, very close and a, a little brother. Um, I lost my sister to a drunk driver when she was 21. Um, but we were very close through our childhood years. And even though we moved to many different schools and had you know to and fro between our parents, um, that relationship was a really wonderful one. Well, I'm sorry to hear about your, your, your sister, and, and I appreciate you, you know, being open to bring that up, but, you know, doing the things that you do and a lot of the work, including the book that you write for, you know, assisting parents, assisting new parents, uh, assisting conversations to have with children, whether difficult conversations or just ongoing conversations, what sparked your interest in that relationship between parents and kids? What Was there a, a monumental point in your life or... Had you always wanted to do something like this? I've um, I've done a lot of teaching of all different ages, from from you know five years old right through to university and adults. And what struck me um, particularly about elementary school age kids was how they're they're smarter than we realize. I I don't know. Do you have kids, Mark? I do, yes. I, and the youngest one, every day, she's about to turn eight. She is super smart. And we, it, it, it's amazing sometimes. We, we, I mean, they're both smart, but this one, just the way she retains things and just regurgitates them, it's like, wow, like it, it surprises us. When you're in the classroom with kids, um, I, I think as a parent, we we're a couple of developmental stages behind with our kids because they're our babies, right? And we're used to having to look after them and do things for them. But when you teach them, you realize that they are thinking and are interested in much deeper things than we usually have time to talk about when we're rushing to get ready for school and don't forget to put on your jacket and hurry up and, you know. Um, and then I was working for aid and development organizations and we used to run these simulation games for youth groups and for adults that would 
that would give people this sort of experiential learning, like pretend that you're living in a slum in India and here's a whole bunch of newspapers and you've got to wrap them and turn them in paper bags and take them to sell them to the shopkeeper so that you have enough to feed your family for the week. And it's, you know, this hyper, you know, energetic, fun thing to do that is supposed to give people an, an experience of what it's like to be living in poverty and, you know, and the powerlessness and, and so on that comes with that. And... Because I had kids at the time, um, and they were, they were, I'm working part time, so they're often coming and being part of whatever I'm running. I started running these ex exact same experiences, but for whole families at the same time. And at the end of these um, experiential learning things, the debrief time is the most important part, where you actually say now. What did you learn? How did you feel during that? What was it like when the landlord wouldn't give you an extension on your lease? What was it like when the flood came through and, you, you know, all this sort of thing? And I would give the microphone to kids and I would watch their parents' jaws drop when they realised that these kids were speaking with such wisdom and generosity and compassion that they just didn't know existed because they hadn't thought to sit and have a conversation about poverty around the kitchen table. Um, but when families are learning together, you know, so often in a busy family, you know, dad's going off running and mum's going to the gym and, and the kids are going to music lessons or sports lessons, whatever, there are fewer and fewer opportunities for us to learn together as a family. But it's a really powerful experience when we're starting on the same page, when there's there's a little shift in the power balance, instead of the parents being the lecturers telling kids what to do, we're both learning together. Suddenly the kids can open up a bit more and the parents can be reminded of their youthful idealism. And some kind of magic happens, and I love it. I I love it too, and I and I love the excitement when you talk about that because it is a it is an experience when that, and I'm speaking from my own personal experience when you see your child in a light that, and it's it's not in a mean way that you didn't think they had, but it's like, wow, that's a part of me. That's a part of me, and and we're doing this together. Now, um, a lot of the work you do is on the, on the way we speak to our kids and the conversations we have with our children. And there's kind of, there's, there's many rules of thought on this and there's you know, the people who want to shield their kids from, from too much. And then you have the, the, the people like, hey, if they're going to hear it from anybody, they should hear it from me. I'm more of the latter. I'm more of the person that's like, hey... You know, I want to be in a spot where if they hear something and they have a question, I want to be the one they can come to and, and ask. But as kids get older and we have to have the, the deeper conversations about, you know, who they can trust uh, when they're away from the house or what kind of activities they should report to us. When we start to have those deeper conversations with our children, you know, is there a right and a wrong time? Is there a right and a wrong way? Is it, do we make a, a scene out of it and say, hey, let's sit down and talk about this? Do we try to be just organic with it? What ways have you seen work the best when we have to start having those deeper conversations with our kids? Well, hopefully you have built a good foundation. Um, 
you know, before teenage years, your kids want to hang around you. So that's the time when hopefully you've built a, a culture of communication in your family where you've enjoyed having conversation together, where the kids have felt heard and understood, where they've thought, oh, we can talk about anything in our family, where, you know, we talk about the important things and and, and coming home from school and talking about what so-and-so said is, is welcomed. So that foundation makes teenagers much, much easier for conversations. But I'll give you two tips for having really good conversations with any ages, but especially as it starts getting trickier or, or if you don't have that culture of communication and want to start one. The first is, you know, if you um, have been part of a, a a work team and you're all firing together and brainstorming and you come up with something greater than the sum of the parts, that creative energy that's that's so exciting when you've produced something new. You want to kind of bring that sort of positivity and creativity to a conversation. Sometimes our whole education system has has taught us how to analyze and criticize and critically pull things apart. We want to leave that aside when we have a conversation and we want that positive creative energy to come. The second thing is we want to be asking questions, not making statements. So like I said before, we're often in the role of do this, do that, hurry up and get your stuff together. And teenagers don't respond so well to that. <laughs> I heard something just recently that um, it's kind of hardwired into us that teenagers are programmed to want to get away from their family to, you could... You can imagine when we're living in little tribes, you know, back, back years and years, eons ago, you don't want there to be too much inbreeding. So there's like this program for kids, to, for teenagers to leave the home, um, which I thought was interesting. But if we can bring curiosity to our conversations with our kids, especially our teenagers, and be willing to work with them, learn from them, ask questions that show we're really interested in what they think and what they, and let them know that we're willing to negotiate with them, listen to them, they're far more likely to tell us what's really going on and, and come to us with their problems. So if rather than just saying, right, these are the rules and this is what you've got to stick to and they're not going to talk to you anymore and they're going to find a way around the rules. If you come to them and say, so, you know, what, what sort of issues do you, um, do you find at school at the moment? I'm really interested in what's going on with teenagers at the moment. And, oh, that's, that's so interesting. And, and why do you think that Gemma did that? And, you know, oh, and, you know, and do you think that's a really great idea? Do you think that, you know, is that something you would do or is that something you would do differently? If you're already having these, these open conversations, then when the time comes to work out, all right, what are the boundaries going to be and what time do you have to be home from that party, then you can have a conversation together saying, okay, well, we're at this new part of our life together where, you know, you can drive and go out now and that's a bit scary for me and I, and I get a bit worried about you. So so can we work together to come up with a plan that, that gives you the freedom you want but, but stops me from being worried about you too much and work together on that in the same way that, Every school teacher on day one sits the class down and says, right, let's work on our school rules together. Let's do it together so that the kids are owning it, not just being told what to do. Does that make sense? 
it, it makes plenty of sense. And I think, you know, one of the things that we, you know, first of all, when people say, you know, don't blink, they'll be 18 before you know it. They're absolutely correct. Like, I, I it, was just like yeah, it was just like yesterday, I felt like I had a baby in my hands. And now I have these, you know, one that's almost 10 that, 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 you know, is a, a, a spitting version of, of me and my little <laughs> mini me. And, and it's, it's great. But one of the things I think that a lot of parents, especially new parents, aren't told or don't know until it's too late is that every word, every sentence, every conversation matters. And, you know, the elasticity of the brains and their, the ability to retain stuff, like kids retain things. Like, I, I forget what I did, you know, 30 minutes ago. But, you know, kids had that ability to retain and say, oh, no, remember last Tuesday you told me I could do this. And it's like, did I? Like, <laughs> did I say that? And, you know, you're talking about setting this groundwork that, to be honest and to be really just vulnerable, a lot of parents don't know that they're setting. They don't know in that moment the words they're using, the tone that they're using, the dismissive voice that they're using are setting them up to either be successful or unsuccessful in those teenage years. And I remember as a teenager, I'm a twin and there's two, there's two of me walking around this earth and, and how my parents did it, I have no idea. But um, listening wasn't my strong suit, just wasn't my strong suit and neither was my brother. But um, I, I still... I can remember the lessons that they taught me about being a good human and about being a good friend. And I hear my dad's voice every time I say something to my daughters. And it's really weird because I never thought I'd be the one to turn into my dad. So as you know, from, from you being in that teacher role, from you seeing the kids a couple hours a day, sending them back, sending them again, seeing them grow up, seeing them, you know, at, that Monday morning and letting them go that Friday. Could you tell, and I've always wanted to ask the teacher this, could you kind of tell what kind of conversations they had at home, what environment they had at home? Did you know the ones that were having deep conversations or the ones that kind of didn't, was there was there some kind of teacher intuition that you had that you could kind of tell the more engaged students? Even at, and you said, I think five years old was the, the youngest that you taught. Um, do, do teachers kind of have that intuition on what kind of home life the, the kids might have? Yes. Um not, not just about the, the topics because, you know, diversity is a marvellous thing and people, you know, some kids know all about gardening and some kids know all about mm. dogs and, you know, whatever. But you can, you can almost tell the quality of relationships in the home by how much the kid wants to interact with with the teacher or with the other with the other kids so if a child um, has always been in daycare and is, is used to having lots and lots of different workers come in and out and there being lots of kids there they're not 
they're not um, building you know really strong one-on-one -on -one attachment so when they come to school they're not really interested in having any kind of relationship with the teacher you know because it's just another person out the front right but if they have been home with mum or dad or grandparents or whatever, then suddenly this, this child wants to know all about you and wants to be friends with you, and you know, which is gorgeous, right? And you know, make, makes for a whole classroom of kids like that a little crazy. Um, but we, whether our kids are good with, with animals or they can run fast or how smart they are. If they don't know how to have really good close relationships, they're gonna struggle in life because that's the thing that, that determines more than anything else whether we will have a good life. Um, it determines the quality of our life. In fact, I just heard research the other day that said it also determines the longevity of our life. Like, the quality of our relationships has a physical effect on us. Isn't that amazing? So. I agree. I agree a thousand percent. I agree a thousand percent. And, and before before we talk about the book, because I definitely want to give you time for that, I, I wanted to get, and, and you can get out of teacher mode if you want to, or you can stay in whatever mode. But, you know, one of the things that I'm seeing and I'm, I'm 43, about to be 44 this month. And, and, you know, I have young daughters who I've won on the, on the cusp of being in her, her teens. But when, when the companies I've worked for have hired younger professionals, so we hired people right out of college, 21, 22, whatever. And when we ask them to have conversations with either ourselves or with customers, um, when we ask them to work through an issue, we've noticed that, and when I say we, I mean me and my counterparts at, at, at positions I've had, that the conversational skills aren't there. And it, it went off like a light bulb. Like most of their conversations since they were teenagers have been over text messaging and direct, and, and direct messaging. And I'm not, listen, I'm not going to be the old man yelling off my porch. At, I'm not going to do that. But, but, I, but I will call a spade a spade when it comes to when I was growing up, every conversation I had was either face to face or over a phone or written communication or, or written, you know. Um, and now we're seeing what you're talking about, having those deep conversations and intimate conversations a lot of those are being had over text messaging. And I personally believe it. If I need to talk, if I need to say something with you and you text me, I'm, I'm saying either we, we talk about this or you find a time when you're comfortable coming to me and talking about it. But it's become so commonplace and so easy for people not to put a face with an emotion, not to put a face with an important conversation. And that has to play a role in how we converse with each other right now. Yeah. The reason the whole human race has done as well as it has is because of communication, is because we're able to communicate and cooperate with each other. And, you know, I'll, I'll just save you two years of, of reading and essays in a master's degree. The only tool we have to deal with conflict is communication. And I mean communication that is empathetic, where I will shut up for a minute and I will listen to you. And as you explain your point of view, 
and then I'll try and exp- I'll try and say back to you what I just heard you say and you'll say no, no no I didn't quite mean it like that it's like okay and when I've totally understood your view of this situation then you'll listen to me and what what we find is with every conflict there with between two people there are three different viewpoints right and we if we don't listen to the other person's side we make up stories in our head I'll assume oh, that you were saying that because you're arrogant and offending me and you're like oh no I said that because I was worried about what you think and I'm like oh oh I didn't even I didn't know that you thought that oh I'm so sorry and suddenly our relationship is much stronger and better and in fact really good conflict resolution develops intimacy in relationships because now I trust you if there's a problem oh we'll be able to talk through it we've done it before we can do it again and the same is is true with kids when I've um, worked with young adults they've said why didn't anyone ever teach us about conflict resolution and like yeah that's a good question what did you do in your family or oh, people just went silent or you know separated for a while or someone yelled and then got over it as if nothing had ever happened that is not conflict resolution and that is not relationship building um and i think even before this huge you know onslaught of technology with everybody on their devices um teenagers who who were not given opportunities to speak to a wide variety of people in a community um you know we're communal beings we used to live in, you know we for eons we've lived in villages where you know everybody and you're used to talking to people of different ages but if you're now just at home behind your four walls all the time on your devices and mum and dad are off, off at work and everyone's busy busy then yeah you're right we're just not getting that kind of um development that we need for good communication which leads to good cooperation which leads to great quality of life so that's why i am trying to you know give parents resources so that they can start building that culture of communication in their families and you bring up a word that that i may use the, the most of anybody that I know is, is empathy and, and being empathetic <coughs> And I, uh, at a former job I had, I, I actually led a, uh, a lunch and learn on leading with empathy. And one of the things I had brought up is the way we talk, we talk to each other. And one of the things humans are really good at, and, and I'll go ahead and say it, men are really good at in conversations, is that a lot of the time we're not listening we're just we're just waiting for our chance to talk. A lot of the times we're we're so ready to prove our point. And I think I, I bring this up because I think a lot of us I've caught myself doing that with my daughters. I've caught myself she's talking, she's talking, her lips are moving. Okay, she stopped. No, honey, this is what's going to happen. And I totally just invalidate everything that she's feeling and everything she wants to tell me. And I've had to catch myself and say, no, wait a second. Listen to what she's saying. Listen to her words are important. Mm-hmm. And, and I think a lot of parents can learn from that because how we speak to our kids, how we respond to them is literally going to be how they respond to people in the future. Yeah. Role modeling is 
Mm. Number one, whether you like it or not. (laughs) You're doing it. You're doing it. Your kids will pick up what you do, not just what you say. And sometimes in spite of what you say. And so let's be intentional about what we do. If we want to raise caring kids, we're going to have to be caring parents as well. And I don't know about you, but one of the ways I feel most cared for is if someone really listens to me. If they just take the time to show that they're interested enough to ask me a question and then ask me a follow-up question mm-hmm. and, you know, reflect back to show they're listening. Listening is a skill that is another one like conflict resolution that I don't mm-hmm. think that we learn very well. So in my book, fully three conversations are all just about listening skills. It's the foundation of everything, I reckon. Yeah, but if you're if you're listening and you listen to my other podcast, Relative Normal, I had uh, one of my leaders on, Chris Wells, and he does a great thing where when he's listening intentionally, he stops for a second and attempts to repeat back what the person is trying to say, so he understands what they're doing. I think that's a, a great thing we can all emulate. But moving on, so the book, I'm going to tell everybody the, the name of the book. It is, I, I think that. We, we all could get something out of it. Raising Kids Who Care, Practical Conversations for Exploring Stuff That Matters Together. Susie, why did you write this book? I think I wrote it for the me that I would have been if I hadn't been intentional about my parenting. Um, we just talked about role modeling. If I had role modeled my parents who didn't listen to me because probably their parents didn't listen to them, you know, um, I wouldn't have been a good mother. And I think from, from watching the conversations I've had with kids and I've seen families have together with kids um, has inspired me that it can make a really massive difference if you just set these bones in place, um, these building blocks of listening skills and conflict resolution and, you know, what do you do when you've made a mistake and, you know, how can we build forgiveness? But also things like empowering kids to understand the effect that their culture is having on, on them. What's the effect that consumerism, you know, ads are targeted at our kids to try to, from day one, build them into lifelong consumers, which means they will be discontent all the time because in order for you to keep buying, you have to keep thinking you're not happy, you need more stuff. For empowering kids about um, technology and the effect that it's having so that they can push back. All you need to do is, is have a conversation so that they understand what's going on and that is enough to empower them to make a difference. To, to help them build their character, to help them understand what true happiness is. True happiness comes from being grateful and compassionate and helping other people and having a purpose in life. If we can set these things up for kids, then just quietly, <laughs> what I'm hoping is that we'll have this whole generation of kids that really care, which means the next, you know, our society is just going to get better and better and kinder and kinder and, you know, isn't that what we want for the world? Um, prevention is better than cure. That's something else that I learned from my, my master's degree about conflict. And so 
this little opportunity we have when our kids are young enough that they hang on our every word and they want to be with us all the time and they they want to hang around us it is it's fleeting um so let's let's be intentional let's make sure that they've got everything that they need not just to know how to care for themselves but how to be a good friend and care for others so they have a loving life and that they know how to care for the world around them so the world mm. becomes a better place too. I know it's a big call, but, you know, yeah. <laughs> I'm an idealist. No, it, that is, no, no, and, and I'm, I'm right there with you because, and one, one thing you mentioned, uh, I tell my girls all the time when they're laughing at terrible jokes, I'm like, you know, one of these days you're, you're not going to think daddy is funny or cool anymore. And, and my oldest is like, no, that'll never happen. You will never. And I was like, all right come back to me when you're 14 and I make one of these jokes around one of your friends and you'll see how cool I am. But, um, I, you know, it, and, and let me, first of all, congratulate, cause this is, you know, a winner of best indie books, Christian Indian Royal Dragonfly book awards. It's, I think this is, uh, I will definitely be, be obtaining a copy for myself, but it's written with 40 conversations to have with your kids and I think that is such a cool way to get this information across it's not a novel that you know you have to walk through and hey try this step here's the word like it you actually write out real world conversations that people can examples that people not only can have but let's be honest probably have had and I don't know how I'm going to feel about reading it when I see a conversation. It's like, oh man, I blew that. I really blew that. But why was that? Was that the the thought from the beginning that you're going to have that style, or that just kind of popped up in your head? It's like, you know what? This is a, a, a good way to write this book. I had had a lot of these conversations with kids, I guess, and a lot of them had been activities from lessons that I'd written or, you know, workshops that I'd run. So once I kind of got this, I have this neat little structure, so every conversation's got the same sort of template so you know what's going on. Um, once I had that, it was really easy to put things in um, into this neat little structure that you could just have as you're driving in the car somewhere or as you're, you know, having dinner, families are doing them on holidays and, you know, all sorts of things. Um, and I wanted something that was simple enough that busy families would actually do it. <laughs> and I, in fact, I made it so simple that the kids could lead it. And I, I suggest that you actually let your kids lead these family conversations. Okay. Um, I've, I've written the conversations that an eight-year-old can read it, no problem. Um, I've had parents with young adults who've done it and been amazed at things that they'd learned about their, their young adult kids that they never knew before. Um, uh, kids really, especially the younger kids, they love it that, oh, oh I'm leading, you know, let, let them choose the conversation. You don't have to do them in order. You can just, there's a list, you can pick one. Um, I had one family that uh, had to bribe their teenagers off their computers to come and, and have a conversation. They let the kids choose one. They chose one that's on climate change. There's, there's 10 conversations on issues in the world. 
Um, this family had never spoken about this before. The parents had no idea that the kids had so much anxiety around this issue, that, that it was a big deal, that they knew a lot. The kids had no idea that the parents knew anything about it. They thought, you know, they're teenagers. Obviously, their parents are dumb and know nothing. And so they ended up having this two-hour conversation and, and then went out and bought a hybrid car um, as a family. They, you know, like, all right, I'm changing the world. <laughs> That, and I'll be honest with you, like all that stuff sounds amazing. And I think, you know, a lot of, a lot of families, not, let, let's, let's go ahead and say it. Like a lot, of, of course, a lot of kids can get something out of it. A lot of, a lot of parents can, and of course, grandparents can, of course, because we know grandparents have a relationship. Uh, you know, my, my sister, who is the girl's aunts, has a relationship with the girls. So um, I think a lot of people can get something out of that, but a question you might get a lot, and I and and I, I stay away from this question, and I say, let me rephrase it. I stay away from answering this question. But what are some words of advice? What are some words of encouragement you can give to new parents? Like this, it's one of I, I tell the story all the time where, like, when we left the the hospital with our our daughter for the first time. Um, we literally, um, were like, wait a second, like we, we have to leave with like, there's no help. Like this is our, our child. Like we, wait, I have, we have to make sure this little thing. No, they're letting us out of the hospital. We don't know what we're doing. No, we don't know what to do. And the, the, the only bit of unsolicited advice that I give to new parents is, don't take any advice from anybody else. Do it on your own. Like if you, that, that's the only bit of advice, but you have a background in teaching. You have done a lot of work with in, in psychology and working with children and, and parents and the conversations and the upbringings and emulation. So when, if I'm a new parent, like what words of wisdom or advice or encouragement do you have for that new parent? So many things spring to mind, but the thing that I think at the moment is a real issue is, is busyness. We've said a couple of times between us that this is a fleeting time of life and I know, I can see with my son and daughter-in-law, it feels like days are very long when you're having to wake up, and <clears throat> but, but it is short. And your window of opportunity to invest in your child's whole future and their future relationship with you. And I'm, I, you know, I've got aging parents, and I want my kids to still want to look after me when I'm old. Um, pay attention. Be there. Be present. Um, don't don't get too busy. Kids don't need stuff. They need love. Love covers a multitude of ineptitude, <laughs> um, but love is a complicated thing. We can just say it off the cuff, but it means listening and it means caring and it means being there and it, it means respecting um, and it means being involved. And parenthood is a season of sacrifice, but there's nothing better in this world. There, there really is. and, and that so brings me to a moment I remember when we had our first one and, and I was on the, the, when she was a newborn I was on night duty half the time and, and to let my wife get some sleep and 
you know, I remember, thank God for SVU um, reruns over and over again, Law and Order. And I remember one morning looking over and seeing her big eyes just staring at me and smiling. And like for that moment, I just, I, I didn't care about anything else. Like I literally, I wanted it to last forever. And now I'm outside every day playing basketball and soccer with her. And, and it's like, I love this too, but it's like sometimes I just, I want you to be that little baby again. And it, mm. it goes so quickly. And I, I think those are great words about, you know, the time we have to spend and, and don't take it for granted. So um, this has been, you know, absolutely amazing. Um, this has been a great conversation before I let you go, tell people how they can learn more about you online, how they can connect with you, and how they can purchase the book. Um, the book has a website, raisingkidswhocare.info, uh, so you can see a trial conversation. In fact, I've put up a conversation about technology, taming technology, that that you can get download for free from the website. Um, it's up on Amazon. If it's Barnes & Noble, you can, you know, Good bookstores, good bookstores are probably not stocking it, but could order it. Um, I have a Facebook page as well, Raising Kids Who Care. Raising Kids Who Care. And the last question for you is, what did you learn about yourself after writing this book? <sighs> this, is, this is a deep question because there was a moment, writing a book is hard, <laughs> and there was a moment where I really got stuck in procrastination you know everyone procrastinates but I was really stuck and someone said underneath procrastination is fear what are you afraid of and I thought about it and what I have you know my psychopathology that I've brought through life from my traumatic you know past was that I didn't know if my father loved me so I'm always trying to achieve to earn his love and that's, that's a really good problem to have. I've achieved very nicely, thank you very much. But the, if achievement means love, then failure is not so good, right? And if you write a book, that's pretty public failure if it's not good. <laughs> and so I suddenly realized I, I was afraid that I would not be lovable if I didn't do a good job of this. So let me tell you, when people started writing really nice reviews and I started winning prizes like, Okay, <laughs> but it was a really useful thing to learn about myself because that is a misplaced way to determine whether I'm worthy or not. Well, you you mentioned it was a deep question. You your answer <laughs> was uh, much deeper, and I'm so <laughs> happy that. One, that I asked it, and two, that you answered the way you did. And, and listen, uh, you know, regardless of what people say, external validation feels good. Even even the people who say, I don't need anything from it, like, it still feels good. It still feels good. So I'm sure you, I'm sure you're worthy of all that positive attention. So Susie, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. Everybody, go to Amazon check out Raising Kids Who Care. And I'm going to say the entire title because I love it. It is Raising Kids Who Care. And wait, I just lost it. Practical Conversations pra for Exploring yep. Stuff That Matters Together. 
As practical a conversations for exploring stuff that matters together. Together is so important. So and let important. me say, Mark, also I'm offering um, free conversations. I love having chats with people. Um, if you go to my website, you can um, organize to book a time to have a chat with me and we'll, and we'll talk about your family as well. Awesome. Thank you so much, Susie. You take care of yourself and you have a great rest of your night, okay? Thank you. Thank you, as always, for listening to the 6 a.m. Run podcast. Again, I am your host, Mark Paisant. Please like and subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of this amazing content. If you can, we would love if you left us a review. Remember to follow us online and use hashtag 6AMRun to connect with the greatest group of runners and fitness enthusiasts in the world.